0: The, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, Surge, Surge, the new Miami, the new Miami, the new Miami, Surge, Surge, the same thing when we walk through with the you ain't no bar through, straight dog we bring the fight, ain't scared of no bright
2: lights. Welcome back to Wide Right, brought to you by Direct TV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at DirectTV.com. All right, so it is Wednesday, September 15th. I'm Miami Hurricanes beat writer Manny Navarro of TheAthletic.com. Recording around 5 p.m. this afternoon, the Miami Hurricanes are set to take on the Michigan State Spartans Saturday at Hard Rock Stadium. Miami is 1-1, one one, ranked 24th in the AP poll. Down two key players this week. Don Chaney Jr. will be out uh, with a torn ACL, linebacker Keontra Smith, uh, a starter for Miami. He is out for the next month with a PCL and MCL sprain. The Spartans are 2-0. They beat Youngstown State 42-14 to last week. Started the season with an impressive road win at Northwestern. They are unranked but fourth in the also receiving votes category in the Associated Press poll. Mel Tucker's football team, uh, was two and five last year, but this looks like an entirely different squad. We're going to talk to Colton Pouncy of The Athletic, Michigan State beat writer, here shortly, previewing the game. Later on in the show, we're going to get a visit from Calvin Harris, three time national champion, who's been on our show frequently. Uh, we're going to talk to him about the 1991 Hurricanes team that's getting together this weekend at Hard Rock Stadium to celebrate the 30-year anniversary of the national championship in 1991. And Carlos Leto of the Miami All-Day Pod will be joining me to talk about the Hurricanes and the state of the program. So be sure to stick around, listen to all the conversation. Uh, But first, we're going to start with Holton Pouncey, Michigan State beat writer. We're going to preview the game, and then we're going to get to the Canes. The Canes this week have fallen in the polls to number 24 after their 25-23 win over Appalachian State. And they're going into this Saturday's game at Hard Rock Stadium, a new kickoff with 2-0 Michigan State, with a lot of angst and anxiety over the way the season has started. And so while I'd love to sit here and talk about all of that angst and, and just uh, nervousness around the program because, you know, Manny Diaz isn't cutting it in the eyes of a lot of fans – I, I'd rather turn my attention to, to Michigan State, the opponent at hand. And so I've brought my colleague, uh, Colton Pouncy on with me, who covers Michigan State uh, for the athletic. Colton, thanks for coming on, man, and uh, and previewing this game with me.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, excited to get to Miami. It should be a fun weekend.
2: It definitely should be. And things are going great over there for Mel Tucker, right? I mean, considering what last year was like, 2-5 and five with – all the issues with COVID and, and then, you know, addressing a lot of issues with, with the transfer portal. I mean, these guys are coming to this game with some confidence. Yes. They haven't played uh, Alabama like Miami has, but uh, they're two and 0 they've, they've taken care of both of their opponents, right. Youngstown state, 42 to 14 open with a, with a road win at Northwestern. It seems like things are going well.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is about as good a start you can ask for if you're a Michigan state fan, especially after last year, you know, going two and five, um, you know, you ask any coach on Michigan State staff, they'll just say that, you know, quite frankly, they weren't ready last year. They you know, didn't really have a full offseason, no spring ball. That kind of shut down probably about a month into their tenure because they kind of came on board mid to late February is when the whole staff was assembled. A couple of weeks later, obviously, COVID kind of shuts things down. So they didn't really feel like they had a full offseason, especially for a first year staff. And. You know, there are some things that they were trying to implement um, with their systems, their schemes that, you know, quite frankly, a lot of it didn't get a chance to, you know, be installed. And so they really took this off season to kind of address some of the holes after that two and five year, hit the transfer portal really hard, you know, 15 scholarship guys added. Um, they've said every player kind of has a better grasp of what they want to do. And ultimately that's good for them because they always say, you know, they want this team to be a player led team. And um, they're starting to see those strides being made. They're two and oh, they've taking care of business. I'm not, not quite sure how great the competition has been so far, but all you can ask for is that they're winning, you know, handedly and they're doing what they're supposed to do. So, I mean, when you talk about the start that they've gotten off to, I mean, I don't think they could have asked for anything more.
2: Yeah. And and really, uh, they've gotten some some good performances from some young players, guys that didn't necessarily play a whole, a whole lot. I mean, their quarterback, Peyton Thorne, I know he started at the end of last season and there was a lot of excitement about him after what he, what he did in, in his first start. But I mean, he's come out of the gate, and, and he's he has his offense rolling. I mean, they're averaging 40 points a game right now. Um, I know the running game has obviously been a big part of that, close to 300 yards a game rushing. But, I mean, he doesn't look uncomfortable. He looks like the kind of guy who could lead uh, Michigan State to to win this Saturday uh, here in Miami.
3: Yeah, he uh, does not lack confidence at all. And, um, yeah, I mean, going back to last year, he was part of a three-man quarterback competition. Um, as a redshirt freshman, was – Pretty, it was pretty impressive the fact that he even put himself in that discussion um, ended up starting as a backup he actually leapfrogged uh, Theo Day who's a year older than him already in the system so I think that kind of spoke to what he had been able to do behind the scenes um, you know Rocky Lombardi was a quarterback last year he kind of struggled for you know his time in there got a little injured banged up towards the end of the season so Peyton Thorne got a chance to show what he can do um, against Penn State the final game of the year he threw for 325 yards and three touchdowns and I think that game kind of Set him up set him up for a big off Um, those other two quarterbacks ended up transferring it's pretty much his job they brought in Anthony Russo uh, temple transfer to uh, sort of compete for that job but um, basically from the spring into summer um, Thorne was kind of getting first team reps all, all throughout you know that period um, has played well so far through two games you know against Northwestern he's more of a game manager I would say um, just getting it to his playmakers out at wide receiver handing it off to Kenneth Walker, who's been a stud for this team. And then last week against, you know, Youngstown State, obviously it's Youngstown State, but he had five touchdowns, 280 yards, completed 15 of 21 attempts, Um, basically done everything that they've asked of him. And again, he's, I think the biggest thing with Peyton Thorne is he's very confident. And it's because of the work that he puts in. Um, I've been told his preparation is like on another level. Uh, He's the son of a coach. His dad is actually a division three coach in Naperville. Illinois and actually won the D3 championship last year. So he's kind of got that in him. Um, you know, people say he runs the offense to a tee, So I think they're really excited about what he can do so far and, and he's played well. We'll see if he can keep it up this weekend.
2: It's funny you mentioned the son of a coach. The last time Miami played uh, Michigan State way back in uh, 1989 uh, up there in Lansing, they, they faced a guy, at quarterback in Dan Enos, who eventually became a coach and the offensive coordinator here at Miami. But it's been that long since these teams have played. And just to throw a little history at Miami fans, you know, I was looking up these numbers a little while ago. They, they obviously don't play the Big uh, Ten very often. It's usually in a bowl game. But I was going back because, you know, the last big meeting with Miami and a Big and a Big Ten team was, of course, the national championship in, in 2002 when they lost to Ohio State. But since then, there's been uh, six games against uh, Big Ten schools and actually seven games against Big Ten schools. And they've gone uh, two and five in those games the two wins coming at home over Nebraska and Ohio state. So, you know, I think as long as Miami's at home, they've got a chance going to this game. Vegas has them as a six and a half point favorite. I'm asking Colton, what do you, when you look at this game, is it hard for you? I mean, do people ask you like, who are you taking this game or like, you know, in terms of where's your confidence level? Like what do do you tell people when they ask you, what do you think is going to happen in this game?
3: Yeah. I mean, if you would have asked me before the season, I would have said this is probably a loss for Michigan state, but you kind of, have to regather yourself, regroup yourself and come back the next week and try to try to get, right the ship. That's what I would have said maybe mm. a few weeks ago. And I'm still I think it's funny because Michigan State fans have kind of convinced themselves that they're winning this game. <laughs> right. Um, so I'm still trying to like temper expectations because, you know, anytime you play Alabama, they're going to make a lot of teams look silly, <laughs> um, mm. just quite frankly. And um, so that game I kind of you know took with a grain of salt. And I think App State's a good team, um, probably needs some better quarterback play. But I think that team is going to end up having a good season when it's all said and done. So I think it's still pretty early, um, kind of for both teams. You know, Michigan State, uh, I thought the first win over Northwestern was, was great to get off to a good start. Um, Northwestern was kind of favored going into that game, but that wasn't the same Northwestern team from last year that went to the Big Ten Championship and led Ohio State at halftime. It's a different team. They're probably going to be um, retooling a little bit. Um, so I'm still not sure what to make of that game, but I thought it was impressive that they got off to a good start on the road against a big 10 team and obviously Youngstown state, you know, FCS school um, you got to take all those games with a grain of salt, but it's interesting because I think both these teams are in a position where you could get a lot of good from winning this game. Miami kind of gets the bounce back. You know, I think if they had lost that game, go, you know, zero two potentially own three after Michigan state, your season's kind of lost at this point. Um, the fact they're one and one now have a chance to go two and one and kind of right the ship that could be a pivotal turning point in their season. And for Michigan state, you know, now they're playing a ranked team. Um, I think this is probably the biggest game that Mel Tucker's coached so far at Michigan State. Um, a lot of people over here are using it as a measuring stick, measuring stick sort of game, kind of see where the program's at. If they're 3-0 and after this week, I think they have a chance to go 4-0. and They play Western Kentucky. They play Nebraska. 5-0 and maybe. You know, it. You, you can start turning, you can start turning the conversation to, okay, what is this team going to look like for the rest of the season if they do win this one? So I think it's inter- interesting, for both teams, but um again, people out here have kind of convinced themselves that they have it locked up. It's funny. For,
2: from a Michigan state perspective, this is the first, well, only the second time they've played an ACC team since 2007. The other one of course was, was a win over Wake Forest and the pinstripe ball in 2019. So really, I mean, they, this isn't a, they usually don't go against ACC teams. Miami, of course, is always seen as the speed, quote-unquote, speed team. How would you sort of characterize this team? I mean, obviously, Kenneth Walker's gotten a ton of attention. We've covered a little bit of it. But where, where do you see the strengths? Where do you see the weaknesses overall?
3: Yeah, I think um, we'll start starting defensively. I think, uh, you know, they're probably front four. Their defensive line is, is pretty solid. I think they're probably one of the best units in the Big Ten, especially their – defensive tackles they have six guys that they rotate pretty regularly um I would say the top four of uh Jalen Hunt, Simeon Barrow, Jacob Slade, and uh, Deshaun Mallory those four they can start for a lot of big 10 teams in my opinion I think they're really solid and Michigan State's lucky to have those four up front um I would say a weakness defensively would probably be the secondary um they have a new cornerback a couple new cornerbacks um one of them is a returning starter Kalen Durbin, and they brought in two guys from the transfer portal um Ronald Williams from Alabama, Chester Kimbrough from Florida, and I think they're still trying to figure those two out and see. It's kind of a battle for that second corner spot. So I think they haven't exactly played well. They've given up some some passes, and you know I was we were talking to their secondary coach, Harlan Barnett, today, and he said that they do need to play better. So I'm not sure about the passing defense as a whole, but I think that's something they need to improve. Um, and then turning over to the offense, obviously you mentioned Kenneth Walker. I mean, he's been a stud so far through two weeks. They didn't even really need to. Use him against Youngstown State. I think he only had seven carries, but still went for 57 yards, I think. Um, and obviously, 264 and four touchdowns in that first game. So he's everything that they needed at running back. Um, their offensive line has been a weakness in recent years, um, haven't always been able to create those holes for the backs. And they, they also haven't had a back that has the vision that Kenneth Walker does. So when something is bottled up, he has the instincts to kind of take it out, bounce it out to the outside, usually to the left side. Um, It's probably his strength and kind of his go-to angle, but um, I mean, he's a stud and they're going to rely on him heavily, I think, in this game. And then, like you mentioned, Peyton Thorne, um, he's a game manager plus in my opinion. I I think the game manager label can kind of has this negative connotation, but I think he can give you a little bit more than that. Um, He's not going to turn the ball over and he also has enough arm strength to kind of throw it deep and, um, probably more underrated in that area, I would say. And he's got a a couple of his targets. Jaden Reed, he played high school football with him. They've got a really good connection. Jalen Naylor is another speed threat, one of the fastest guys on the team, in my opinion. So there's a lot of balance uh, offensively, I would say, like between the running game and some of those big plays with the receivers they have on the outside. So for so far, so good. We'll see if they can keep it up. This is a big test for them.
2: Well, one area I wanted to get into was the offensive line because I looked at it now. I added up the career starts between nine mm-hmm. guys. I think it's 161 combined starts going into this game. And Miami, you know, they're, they're kind of similar. that They have a lot of experience, but now they're in this transition where, okay, they're, they're, they're benching some of these guys who have sort of underperformed uh, that are veterans. And so they're in a little area of, uh, of transition, I guess. And with this offensive line, I mean, how long have these guys – played together or how many of these guys are transfers what do you you sort of make up uh, with the offensive line
3: it's really interesting because this line has struggled for a long time I would say dating back to 2016-17 and a lot of these guys are still here Somehow, I think the extra year with COVID kind of kept a lot of these guys back and the fact that the coaching staff wanted them I think kind of speaks to you know them wanting that veteran experience even though it hasn't always you know, been the production that they wanted. So you've got Matt Allen as a starting center. Um, you know, his two brothers played for Michigan State. Uh, one of his, his brother, Brian, is the starting center for the uh, Los Angeles Rams right now. Um, so he's been around since, I want to say, 2016 or 17, one of those classes. Um, and I, it's funny because I actually thought Nick Samak, who's a 2019 center, I thought that he would have the upper hand this year, but they asked Allen to come back. He's a guy that they like as a leader. And he actually earned the starting job in his, you know, sixth year of college football. So he's back. Uh, left tackle AJ Curry, um, you know, he's another one of those twenty seventeen guys. Uh, same with Kevin Jarvis, who's starting at right guard. Um, left guard is J D Duplaine. He's a true junior. He's probably one of the youngest guys in that, you know, playing rotation along the offensive line. Um, he was the guy that Ohio State wanted out of 2019 class and Michigan state was able to hold on to him. He's really developing. He, I think he might be their best lineman right now at left guards. So they can they probably like what they have on the inside there. And then uh, their left tackle um, Jarrett Horst, he's an, a transfer from Arkansas state six, um, six, you know, three, 310 pounds. I think he is an absolute mauler. Uh, it's funny. Cause the coaches always say we kind of got to reel him back a little bit because he can be too aggressive where it's gotten to a point where he's like, messing up some of our dudes and like getting into things with our players after plays. Um, but they love that aggression from him. And that's what they needed. This line has not really been one of those physical Mauler units. And I think just based on his, the way he plays, his style of play, that's kind of rubbing off on the other guys. So, and it's all being led by Chris Kapilvic their offensive line coach who followed Mel Tucker from Colorado. I think he's one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. Um, you know, I think Auburn and Missouri tried to get at him when Tucker came to Michigan state um you know that off season so I think that kind of shows that he's you know a respected coach in college football and the thing with him is he has quick turnarounds pretty much everywhere he's been he's been able to you know put his stamp on offensive lines and get them to play his style of of football pretty early on it didn't really work out last year this year with the full off season I think you're seeing some strides so it's interesting I'm still in the point where like I'm not sure if this is like real or not, if it's a mirage, but so, I mean, you can't really argue with 300 yards a game on the ground. Like the production has yeah.
2: been there.
3: So uh, we'll see.
2: Yeah. I, well, Miami, you know, it's funny again, like uh, as a defensive front, they lost two guys to the NFL draft. Um, and, and so the pressure really, I mean, they've put pressure on opposing quarterbacks. They just haven't gotten the sacks. They've only got two sacks so far yeah. uh, this year. And so they're, they're in a uh, sort of that, that phase where like you can see there's frustration sitting in that they don't have enough big plays from their front. But at the same time too, there's, there's the concern of, Hey, we're also not doing a great job on run defense consistently. And so this mm-hmm. is, this is one of those challenges where, you know, based on, on, on Michigan state and what they've done so far running the football, you're nervous as, as a Hurricanes fan, right? You're, you're just going into this game like, man, we may get run over, we may get trucked over, but it's good to sort of get a breakdown a little, like you provided for us of, of what they've got on the offensive line and what you're seeing from their perspective. Because mm-hmm. um, I think in some ways, when I looked at this and I, and I started breaking down their, their line, I was like, man, they got a lot of experience, but how good are these guys really? And then, and yeah. I guess you kind of have the same question too, because how did they do against good defenses, I guess, in the past? I mean, did they, did they have any success at all? Not really.
3: No, they've really struggled. <laughs> like pretty much ever since I've been on the beat, this has been one of the worst offensive lines in college football. Like that's right. not an exaggeration. I, one thing I like to use is um, football outsiders. They have mm-hmm. these offensive line metrics that kind of determine, you know, how you are creating lanes for your running bats and different, you know, analytics like that. And I would look at those every year since I joined the beat in 2018. And they've been consistently in the 100s of the 130 programs or whatever there are in, in FPS football. And this year, though, I don't think those metrics have come out yet. They're probably trying to build up the sample size. But if I had to guess, they would be ranked pretty highly based on what they've done this year. Mm-hmm. So, again, is that competition? Is it, you know, maybe Northwestern? Again, they're not the same team as they were last year. Then you follow that up with Youngstown State. It's good for their confidence that they're doing that against Youngstown State. But it's also you're not going to play Youngstown State every week. So right. my question is, how can they keep this up against better competition? Miami would qualify as better co- competition. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I think that's going to be a key to the game for them.
2: Yeah, no doubt. Um, t- describe to me, Walker. I mean, I, I watched him at Wake Forest and I, and I saw, you know, his ability in the opener. I watched the, the Northwestern game when he went bananas. Um, you know, you mentioned he only had seven carries last game, but it feels like going into this game, he is sort of the bell cow running back, right? Even though Jordan Simmons has gotten uh, some carries and some work, I think 21 carries for 131 yards, Ultimately, they want the ball in Walker's hands. He's 5'10", 2'10". Um, you know, to me, he—he, he, this is kind of like his game, right?
3: Absolutely. And, you know, he transferred from Wake Forest because, you know, they do that, that sort of weird slow mesh point mm-hmm. offense um, where they're taking forever to actually snap the ball and hand it off. And so I don't really think – I mean, he told us, I think, uh, in the spring that he just wanted more of a pro-style offense that just gives him the ball he can go. And that's what he's found at Michigan State, and I mean, so far so good. He's got you know three hundred and twenty rushing yards, something like that, on the season. Like every yeah, he's, four, a I think he's
2: fourth nationally on the among FBS running backs. So. Yeah,
3: yeah, and obviously a big chunk of that came against Northwestern, but still, that's an that's a power five program. Um, mm-hmm. So I think what, what he's done so far, and Michigan State coaches have been talking about him all off season. Um, that basically as soon as he got there, they knew that he was going to be the guy. They knew mm-hmm. that he was. Everything that they thought they were getting when they were able to uh, recruit him from a transfer portal. And I think his high school coach told me that there are some other schools like UCLA was, you know, trying to get him and, you know, some other Power Five schools and Michigan State was able to land him. And again, he's been everything they needed because the offensive line, it it, kind of goes hand in hand because I think they have improved, but also having a guy like Kenneth Walker who can create on his own. There's a play against Youngstown State where things were not blocked well for him. They're running like kind of an, an outside outside zone run and he gets bottled up like there's you know the tight end gets beat on a block uh like a linebacker has him wrapped up he breaks the tackle like there's still five defenders around him he wiggles all around cuts it back to the other side and ends up picking up 24 yards that mm-hmm. should have been a three-yard loss if that was Michigan State last year that would have been a three-yard loss with Kenneth Walker in the mold here that was a 24-yard gain. and that's sort of the things that he can do and that's Again, it was kind of a light workload. And I think that was probably intentional last week, just because they have a guy they like in, in Jordan Simmons too, who can give you some some juice and he's his feedback. And um, had over 100 yards against Youngstown State, but I also think they were kind of saving Kenneth for this game, knowing that he would probably get the ball, you know, 25 times.
2: Yeah. So. Um, defense. Let's slip it to defense because we, we we have talked about you know sort of philosophically where they're at, but um, you mentioned that you know worrying about the secondary, but up front you know, Miami's offensive line has had trouble getting their running game going. And, you know, you, you look at what uh, they do with their four two five defense. How do you think, you know, I mean, where, where are they in terms of a run defense in your mind?
3: Yeah, I think, um, you know, the Michigan State was great at uh, defending the run with Mark D'Antonio here. They used to run a 4-3 and they would rank pretty much within the top 10, if not the top, you know, 15, 20 every year. Run defense. I think with the four-two-five, when you take a linebacker off the field and you replace that with, you know, a nickel spot, which is what Michigan State's doing, kind of like a hybrid safety right. corner is what they want to fill that nickel spot. I think you are going to give up a little bit more rushing yards on average per game. Um, I do think they kind of obviously they need to improve a little bit, but I think they like what they're getting so far. They're breaking in, you know, a few new players. Mm-hmm. Um, they got Quavarius Crouch, who's a linebacker transfer from Tennessee um Cal Halliday is the other starting linebacker he was on the team last year but he was a true freshman last year didn't really see the field at all I don't think he had any defensive snaps um so this is really his first taste of football he started both games and he's played pretty well I think uh pro football focus has him as a top 10 linebacker in the country um so he's again those they've got a couple new guys at linebacker that they're breaking in I think they'd like to see a little bit more consistency from them but So far, so good. And again, like I mentioned, the defensive line, in my opinion, has been a strength, especially those tackles. Um, Against Youngstown State, they had a couple of DNs that were out. Um, Drew Jordan and Drew Beasley, who – Beasley's a starter, and Jordan's the first guy off the bench. So those are two guys that they – I think they're counting on having this week after they sat out last week, probably banged up or something. But, um, yeah, we'll we'll see. (laughs) I'll I'll just say that. I think they need to show a little bit more – Juice defending the run, they did, they've they done okay so far. But, again, I think Miami kind of presents a different challenge. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah.
2: yeah. And and Jordan, by the way, is a Duke uh, grad transfer who, who Miami's familiar with. They, they went up against – they go up against Duke every single year in, in the Coastal Division. So, um, yep. you know, they're familiar with him. I guess uh, the top guy or the guy with the most experience up front is uh, – is it Jacob? And I can't pronounce his last name. I've been trying to here practicing. Uh, What's I'm that?
3: Still that out. I'm still figuring that out myself. <laughs> I think it's –
2: Some people say Panashouk. Some people say Panashouk, but Panashouk. Okay, Jacob Panashouk. Yeah. Six, four, two fifty five, thirty two starts, uh, eight pressures, no sacks so far. But he leads the team in pressures, according to Pro Football Focus. So he's a guy that can at least create some havoc. Um, Is he I mean, are there any guys on this defense? I mean, in the front seven that are like NFL potential, you know, that, that you hear chatter like, hey, these guys are like, you know, really good.
3: Um, I don't think so. I don't think there are any, you know, NFL mm-hmm. studs on this line, but mm-hmm. they do have some guys that can be productive in college. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one thing that they, they've needed to work on was generating more pressure. And that was something that they didn't really do last year. Panish, Panishuk last year, he had COVID and he was able to play some games, but he clearly wasn't himself. I think, I mean, he's a guy who started since he was a sophomore, a true sophomore back in like 2018. Um, so I think they like what he can give them off the edge, but he's got to be a little bit more consistent. Um, Beasley has really kind of overplayed, probably his recruiting rank. I think he joined as a walk-on and worked his way on scholarship, and he's one of those classic D'Antonio dudes that he found that no one else was recruiting. And now he's just a productive (laughs) player, you know. And um, I think he had five sacks in in seven games last year, or maybe three sacks and like that. But um, I think you know he's he's probably the most consistent defensive end. Drew Jordan, um, he was at, he played at 285 last year, or at least came to Michigan State at 285. And uh, Mel Tucker said, look, man, you got to get down to like 250. Like, we need some more speed from you. And so he sort of transformed his body, and I like, think now he's at 257. Um, so I think they think that he can give them probably a little bit more than what he showed at Duke um, off the edge. But I don't know. They got three veteran defensive ends, all seniors, um, have played a lot of football in their career. So. Uh, I do think there's a chance that they can, you know, have their best years this year, but um, they they kind of have to show it at this point, I would say.
2: And, and when we look at the secondary individually, uh, I guess Xavier Henderson is is the one guy that, you know, you look at and you say, OK, that guy's got NFL body, NFL potential. Yeah. Um, talk about him a little bit, just what he brings. And I know he's whatever, 22 starts. It might be 22 starts in a row now, um, but what he brings to that secondary.
3: Yeah, he's a stud. And um, I asked Mel about him yesterday just because, you know, he's a guy who I think at Big Ten Media Days, he said he would like for this to be his last year um, in Michigan State. He wants he sees himself going to the NFL. That's how confident he was going to the offseason. And Mel Tucker is a DB coach at at heart. You know, at Georgia, he was their secondary safeties coach, um, along with defensive coordinator. So, I mean, that's who he is. So it's funny in practice, you see him going over to the DBs and just – spending like 20 minutes of practice just yelling at DBs, just making sure their technique's right, you know, they're tackling, all that stuff, and so he's really taken Xavier under his wing, and one thing that he wanted to improve was his tackling. Um, not that he was bad, but there were some times that he would miss things that would lead to extra yards, and that's not what you want from your safety back there, so that was really a point of emphasis for him. Uh, Mel worked with him, like, directly one-on-one with it, with him about that, and he so far, he likes the progress that he's made. I mean, I think he's probably their best defensive player right now. Um, definitely the an NFL dude, in my opinion. And, um, he's just really confident guy. He's kind of like the leader on the defense. You know, he's, you see him pre-snap, he's, you know, alerting, you know, whatever's happening to his other guys around him. And he's kind of taking that mold. He's a four-star guy, one of the highest recruits that Dan, Dan Antonio had in that 2018 class. So I think this is what exactly what you want to see from him, a senior taking that leadership role. Um, kind of, uh, you know, putting other guys under his wing and kind of taking that next step.
2: Yeah, I went through – uh I do this with every opponent. I go through and I start doing the, the, the four-star, five-star thing. Mm-hmm. And by my count here, they got three guys in their secondary that are four-stars that are really part of the rotation. Crouch, I guess, was a four-star when he was at Tennessee, at yeah. um, linebacker. And then Jordan was a four-star. So six – five, six guys on their defense. And then on offense – uh, I guess Harold Joyner, the, who's one of the backup running backs, is the only four-star from what I counted. So this is, you know, if you if you do the, scar, the, the star counter thing, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Miami should win, right? I guess that's why Vegas has them favored by four and a half. I mean, by six and a half. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it seems like Michigan State always knows how to get more out of their guys, right?
3: Yeah, I, I would say so. And I think Kevin Jarvis might have been a four-star too. But, yeah, okay. again, not, not many on that side of the ball. But yeah, just based right. on yes. how – some of these guys that Antonio had and some of the guys that Tucker has brought in from the portal, I think have probably outplayed their their rankings. You know, Thorne was, you know, he was in, ranked somewhere in the thousands, you know, his year um, as a quarterback. And he's played above that. Kenneth Walker was like a two star recruit um, once committed to Kent State, went to Wake Forest. That was the only power five offer. And then all of a sudden he blows up, um, can go to a lot of schools so he's kind of outplayed that jaden reed was a lowly re- recruited guy went to western michigan freshman all-american there then transferred to michigan state so what they've done through the portal um even if guys have not been you know four stars coming out of high school they think they played as four-star talents since they've been in college so those are guys that they went after in the portal um especially some of the younger guys that they've gotten you know tank brown is a four-star uh defensive end outside linebacker that they got from minnesota Um, Harold Joyner, again, was a four star, but he's probably maybe third or fourth on the running back pecking order right now. He got a little banged up too. So that probably factors in, but I mean, they like what they have and I think they're playing confident. They're playing well together. Um, they like the balance that they have between the running game and those wide receivers who are quick and speedy and can kind of, you know, push the, push the field vertically. Um, so I think they like what they have from those guys and they feel confident going into this game. So it should be, should be fun.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure you're looking forward to a trip down to South Florida, right? When do you get here?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I took the earliest flight I could. I'm like, I'm spending the entire Friday in Miami. I'm just going to do whatever. Um, got to so hit get the beach.
2: College. Absolutely.
3: <laughs> I got to get in. I'm getting in around, I think, 10, 30 or 11. Um, okay. So I'll probably just, like, drop my bags off at the hotel and just, you know, walk around, do some
2: sightseeing. I'm excited. <laughs> good, good. I hope you enjoy it. Um, one One last one here, just because there's so much, you know, concentration on Manny Diaz and the job that he's doing and whether or not he's succeeding here. Um, you covered the Mel Tucker hiring. Here's a guy who, when you look at his resume, I mean, he was on two national championship winning staffs, right? At Alabama and Ohio state and, and played for another with Georgia. Uh, I'm curious what sort of the feeling over there when after, you know, from the moment he got hired to now, it's getting off to this two zero start, what's the feeling like about him and Lansing, and and do they expect big things? Like, are, are they are they thinking this is going to turn around quickly? Yeah, I mean, they're all in on on
3: Mel Tucker over here. It's fun. <laughs> they have this phrase that they can't kind of came up with out of nowhere called Tuck coming." They just say okay. Tuck coming" whenever. <laughs> Whenever a recruit's like interested in Michigan State, they reply with this photo of him like smoking a cigar with like, a, you know, a straw hat on, like with sunglasses. And they say, Tuck coming, like we're coming for your recruits, all that stuff. So, I mean, everything that he's done with the program so far, though, I mean, I think he's kind of hit a lot of the right notes. Uh, recruiting was something that needed to be upgraded. And he is a recruit first coach. He fully believes that if you don't have good players, you don't have a shot. And I don't know if Michigan State will be able to compete along with, you know, the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Ohio States and and those programs, but if they can get into that top 15, you can win some games in the Big Ten. If you're a consistent top 15, top 20 recruiting program, they trust their coaches to get the most out of those guys. So if they can get that recruiting up to that level, I think there's going to be a well-oiled machine down the road. Um, And then the other side of it is, you know, the culture. And I know that's kind of a cliche word when it comes to coaching staffs, but with what they're doing, it's, you can see it making an impact. You know, D'Antonio was very much a, a loyal coach. He was loyal to his staff. You know, th- their offense scored, you know, like 20 points a game in uh, 2018, ranked 106th in, in scoring offense. And he kept his entire staff. He didn't make any changes, even though he needed to, he just kind of changed their titles. Like he took the, you know, offensive coordinator and put him at quarterbacks, took the quarterbacks coach and put him at offensive coordinator. And, there's probably some players that, you know, these Mac Mac level players that uh, he kept taking, um, wasn't really going after, you know, some of the top prospects. He was very settled in like his strategy of getting those underrated kids from Ohio and coaching them up. Well, other, other programs started going into Ohio and doing that same strategy. You know, Kentucky, um, Cincinnati with Luke Fickle came on around that time. So they had more competition. So they weren't always getting the top underrated guys that Ohio State wanted. So. What Mel Tucker's done, he's kind of opened the recruiting map. He's gone national. Um, he's working the portal, got 15 scholarship guys from the portal this offseason, you know, building up the depth. And then in practice, those practices are intense. Like, we get to see a little bit. We step foot out there. They are yelling and screaming, and they're trying to make it as intense as possible um, so that they're more intense than games. And last week, Jaden Reed was like, I mean, I know who's it was young sounds safe, but I, I feel like this was more, you know, our practices are more intense than games right now just because of how much they're doing to us. And also that culture of competition, when you bring in 15 guys from the portal, you know, guys know that their, their spots aren't safe when you go two and five and you're starting that team and then you see them bringing in all these dudes from power five programs across the country kind of makes you sweat a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think what that, what that did is it kind of got the best out of the returning guys that, you know, have stayed on the roster that, you know, didn't transfer, because they didn't have a role in the team or whatever, those guys that are still here are bought in and they know they have to show up and compete every day. And the guys that they um, have added from the portal are looking for spots. You know, they already left one school and now they need to solidify themselves at another. So their, their competition level is already at, at a, at a peak. So I think that's gotten the best out of, out of all these guys so far. Um, again, it's early, who knows what the level of competition. We'll have to find out later in the season, how those first two teams kind of stacked up, but um based on everything that he's done so far they're they're in love with this dude and they're hoping they can keep it rolling this weekend
2: yeah meanwhile over here it feels like the world's about to explode so i (laughs) i kind of wish i was in your shoes not this not these here with uh with the fans i mean i've been through this so many times now where it's like we need to fire the coach we need to start over and it's just like it's just nauseating after a while so i hope you i hope you enjoy your trip to south florida and um make sure you get some cuban food while you're here
3: absolutely you got any recommendations?
2: Well, listen, I mean, there's a lot of good places. I don't know exactly where you're staying, but you could hit La Carreta. That's one of the classic, you know, Miami uh, joints for Cuban food. So right. maybe, maybe I'll meet, meet up with you on Friday. Maybe there's a way we, yep. can, we can do something. I'll take you out to eat since you're in my town. What do you say? Absolutely. I'm free all day, so hit me up. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Colton, thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. You did a great job. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. All right. So you, we just heard from uh, Colton Pouncy, the Michigan State beat writer, about Saturday's game against the Spartans. And now I want to turn the conversation here on the podcast. The two familiar voices you've heard here often. One of them, Carlos Ledo, uh, who was with who was on with me last week uh, after uh, the Alabama loss, leading in the Appalachian State game, and and of course the other one is a guy you haven't heard from in a while, uh, Kelvin Harris. Uh, my former wingman here, who was was frequently on, now he just makes guest appearances when it's when it's like special occasions. So because
1: he's too big time,
2: he's too big time for us now. Especially. My,
1: my my agent my agent didn't approve of this appearance, but I I said, well, you know, he he sent me pictures of his kids, so you know we you know. We'll make sure he keeps his job. I'll I'll go on.
2: I I
0: appreciate
2: it, uh, Kelvin. Uh,
0: For only only one podcast a week, you can feed Manny Navarro.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Kelvin, thanks for coming on. Uh, Obviously, uh, the Michigan State game this week is important for Miami, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I wanted to start off uh, introducing you as the three-time national champion who gets to celebrate his third national championship this weekend because you and the entire 1991 team, Well, maybe not the entire 1991 team, but a lot of it is going to be uh, at the stadium for the festivities to celebrate the 30 year anniversary of the 91 championship. Um, Obviously, you you played on that team a whole lot. You were the starting center. You were uh, the guy uh, snapping the ball to. Gino Toretta, Mr. Heisman Trophy winner, and it, it's kind of a cool thing that we get to celebrate the past, right? Anytime we do, I like to talk about that because the, the glory days are a lot better than the current days, Kelvin. So I want to start with this. I guess are you are you excited about this? Are you excited about coming down and meeting your buddies? Are you just doing it out of obligation? Where where are you at with this? And and do you bring all three rings with you? What do you? How do you dress for an occasion like this?
1: Well, I mean, here's the crazy part about it. Because I got three rings and we celebrate it, you know, they celebrate on a five-year increment. I pretty much have a celebration every two years. So this shit is old.
2: (laughs) Well, but I got got to imagine the 91 team is a little extra special, though, because you you really played a big role on that one,
1: right? Yeah, it was my senior year. Um, Crazy part about it is, um, you know, there'll be some guys that I haven't seen in a while. But, you know, a lot of the guys like, um, you know... Hurley was my roommate, and, you know, I, I I actually haven't talked to Hurley in a while, but, I mean, when Hurley was at University of Miami, I was in his office damn near all the time. Uh, Anthony Hamlin, that was my road dog. Um, you know, I talked to him all the time. And it's a lot of these guys off of that team I talk with, you know, a guy like Darrell Williams, he's an acquaintance. You know, I, I hit up Goldmouth every now and then just to mess with him. But there are going to be some guys that I haven't seen. Like Coach Erickson, well, ironically, what, we did the 89 two years ago? So I saw him at 89. Yeah, I mean, like, they start to run. I I, I hate to say this, but they start to run together because, <laughs> believe it or not, I got another one next year for the 87 team.
2: Right, that'd be what, It'll be the 35th years.
1: year for the 87 team. So, yeah, and I get to see Coach Johnson, you know. I mean, now that one is a little different because there's so many different guys that I don't see or talk to. You know, guys like you haven't seen in a while. Mm-hmm. But with the 91 team, because a lot of them come to the games and a lot of them living for Liddell. Now I know Jesse, I haven't seen Jesse in a long time, so that'll be interesting. And I'm trying to think who else I haven't seen or talked to. Wow. You know, it's crazy. A lot of those guys I see because we're at the, at the game, but you know, just to get us together as a group and tell the story. Yeah. It's going to be special. I mean, it's going to be dense because it's going to be at the stadium. No, it's, it's always when you have reunions and it's, and it's you know it's funny because I was having this conversation with somebody about, you know, um the, lo- the, the current kids. It's like we ta- actually we talk about North Allison and I was like, you know, he's at the point now. Um, and, and, and actually I told Mike Harley this. I said, man, don't leave you with re- 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 regrets. Because, you know, when you come back for the alumni, you're in the suite, and you know, you're talking about five classes of guys who got rings, they all in the suite reminiscing on the championship years and all you got is a seven and four year, seventy-five year, or you got your got your ass trounced in a in a bowl game. It, it ain't the same feeling and you can kind of feel that, you know, you know, I ain't gonna say it's resentment, but it's like awkwardness because, you know, there's a gap there between championship years and then them other people. And I mean it's not like we're, you know, it's not like we're uppity towards them. It's just that the conversation is different. And, I mean, you know, you, you have those conversations about their time. And you start talking about your time with them, and it's like, oh, yeah, I don't know if he wants to retain this conversation.
0: Yeah, they aren't going to be bringing them back uh, for the 20-year anniversary of when they beat up State by two. <laughs> <laughs>
1: or,
2: or when they lost to FIU. But, you, know, um,
1: hey, you know, what's crazy is that's been the downfall of FIU's program. <laughs> that's it's true. like – you know what Butch is saying? He probably had one of those, uh, you know, sell your soul to the devil moments. Saying, you know, if I give you this victory, you ain't going to win no more. I don't care. Let me beat him. Right, Calvin, I, I wanted to – let's
2: recap a little bit of 91, just just for old time's sake, for the old timers, because we do want to reminisce over some of the good ones. And obviously, that, that 30 years ago, 1760, that was the original wide right. That was the first time uh, we had a wide right. Of course, that's what our podcast is named after. Um, but you know, just that game and the memory. What 30 years later, I mean, Bobby bounds passed away, God rest his soul now. Um, 30 years later, what do you still remember about that game that maybe people didn't notice on TV? Is there something that post-game, pre-game, during the game? Any stories about that that game what, that just stick out in your mind?
1: The signature moment for you know, there was a bunch of signature moments, but the fourth to sixth play, we um We're in the huddle, and Gino comes back in the huddle at the timeout, and he says, "Um, we're going to get this, you know, we're going to get the first down, and is is this what we're running? And he looks at Horace, and he says, this is coming to you, Horace. You better not fuck this up. And, you know, Gino was talking about how he broke the huddle, and he looks out and he sees T-Buck, and he's damn near in the end zone, and he's like, what the hell is he doing? (laughs) And he made it even easier because, you know, Lamar and T-Buck, when I say T Buck, I'm talking about Terrell Buckley. Terrell Buckley and Lamar were teammates with with the Dolphins. They they coached together, and they're good friends. And you know T Buck was saying that you know he thought they were gonna go for the end zone, so he was backing up. But you know Gino was like, "It's fourth and eight. Why are you in the end zone?" And so he throws the ball up high. Horace makes the first down, and then we go in. But then there was another moment in that drive. Actually, I think it's when Larry scored, Geno Audible. And I remember I looked back and all I saw was his lips moving because I couldn't hear him. (laughs) Right. You know, but luckily I was like, oh, 32. Okay. (laughs) Because it was so loud. It was just that game is why you come to the University of Miami. It was so much hype around that game. You know, one versus two, Florida State, Miami. They've been number one all year. They were projected to win the whole thing. A lot of people didn't think we could win. It was so much media that week. I mean, you know, if you can't get up for a game like that, I don't know. And then, you know, I just remember that drive. I remember Coleman makes that catch. And, you know, I still just didn't know how we won the game.
2: <laughs> well, the, the wind pushed the ball wide right. That's it, what it, happened. But it was a
1: great thing. It was back and forth. But, you know, last I heard, there was a uh, U logo on Bobby's grave. So. You no. Know, everybody has the demons.
2: <laughs> there were two other games that year but that that turned, was a great game. There, there were two other games that year that were great as well. And I remember going to watch the game against Penn State um in, in October when Penn State came in ranked in the top ten. You guys won that one 26-20. But one that a lot of that people was,
1: it shouldn't have been that close.
2: Yeah. And and the one that the one that was close uh, and was scary was the following week after Florida State when you guys went up to Boston College. And we're able to hang on 19 to 14. How much of a hangover? I just want to how much of a hangover did you guys have? I'm,
0: literal, I'm, t-
1: I'm probably talking literal hangover here,
0: right? Yes.
1: No, no. You know, to be honest with you, there was no hangover. They, they, the refs cheated that whole game. I mean, they were calling. Kevin Williams got three holding calls in that game. Um, I got a holding call on Ron Stone, who, um, end up playing for the Cowboys, ironically, as an offensive lineman. And the reason why he's offensive lineman, because he was a terrible nose guard. He was playing nose guard over me, and I hooked him. I mean, I'm talking about I snapped the ball. I got I got to his left side, because we we're going left. I pretty much damn near was on the other side of him before he got out of his stance, and he called a holding call. And, it, it, you know, when you look at it on film, it's like, what the hell was it? just It was a bunch of calls, and then Steve got hurt, and one of the things that happened when Steve got hurt, we had to play Martin Patton and Larry Jones, and we played Martin, I think, more so that game than we did Larry, I think. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Yeah, Patton had 21 carries in that game for 64 yards and a touchdown.
1: And Martin wasn't a downhill runner. He wasn't the downhill runner that Steve was. He bounced everything that game, and it kind of threw threw, threw the running game off. But Every time we got momentum, a penalty showed up because the final score is 19-14. So it's not like, our, you know, and then, you know, the defense was mad at us. Like, man, where the hell's the offense? Well, you know, we had our problems, but a lot of it was not us. It's like, you know, we couldn't get the running game going because oh, Steve was – before Steve got hurt, we were gashing him. And then he gets hurt and it threw everything off there. But then every time we would get going, we'd get a mystery penalty. It's like, how the hell are you calling, hold on, Kevin Williams twice.
2: 18 penalties for 138 yards in that game for you guys, 10 penalties for 98 yards for the
1: other guys. Well, that was the that was the ammunition that coaches needed to get to you know to Washington State number one ahead of us because there was a big sentiment for Don James to uh win a tad title like a career achievement we would have wa- we would have wiped the floor with those guys they they didn't stand a chance you know and everybody said, well at we'd have ate his fucking lunch you know <laughs> and they weren't they weren't bigger than us they weren't bigger than us so and 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 and, and I got something you know I have a, a relevant point they played Nebraska earlier in the year and they struggled with them we sh- not only sh- we shut out and, and Joe Zagaki brought this up Monday this was the first time Nebraska been shut out since 1970. We shut them out and we finished the game by running the clock out. We didn't pass the ball for the last eight minutes. We ran the ball down their damn throat. Their offense was the number one rushing offense in the country. And we shut that down, too. So, I mean, we totally dominated this team. But Bill Walsh, God bless his soul, you know, was hating, you know, on the telecast. Like, well, you know, it's just not as impressive. What's not impressive about a twenty? 20- I mean, we jumped on all over them, I and we just basically took our foot off the gas offensively. But defensively, we, we you know, it was just a straight sexual assault. Well, I'm but sure th- that was a special gear though. I-
2: I'm sure Saturday's going to be a lot of fun, man, and and I hope you get to enjoy it and see all your uh, all your buddies again. Um, and and you know, I guess they'll bring you guys out on the field at halftime, and we'll get to to cheer for you. I'm hoping that you know that that Hurricanes fans get to cheer for more than just you guys at halftime on Saturday. Um, let let let's transition to to uh the state of the program, man. Because we've been able to see two games now. I know obviously they're they're not gonna go fifteen and zero anymore. From your perspective, they'll, go
1: Kelvin,
2: they'll still go fourteen and one, right? From your from your perspective, and then we'll let you go because I know you got other things to do. But what what do you, what do you make of this start? And and where's your confidence level in Manny Diaz? Because everybody is questioning him right now. Um, where's your, your confidence level in him in the
1: program? I mean, this is all a perception thing. Everybody, and it's not just our fan base. All fan bases are just skittish right now, but ours is one of the worst. So everybody wants Mario to come back. I don't see Mario coming back because... That's because
2: Mario now. You he heard you say that.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's basically calling me to tell me, hey, don't give out the secret.
2: Yeah,
0: that, Mario, or, or Zion trying to work out another deal with
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> but Mario is um, is gonna be end up being a devil's win here the West if he can keep this season together because there's no competition out there. So why would you come back east with a group of fans who if you make the same mistakes you made against Fresno, your wife can't go to Publix because you know somebody's rolling up on her talking noise to her. Or you can start at Oregon and win ten games every year and be the toast of the town. Uh, And get paid a lot more money. But look, Manny, I mean, everybody wants the instant gratification. I get that. Okay, we, unlike everybody else, we took on the best team in the country. Um, And you were there yesterday when Garen basically gave you the straight with no trace version of what he felt was going on with the offensive line. They were close. They made first game mistakes. Normally, you make those first game mistakes against Central Connecticut State. You know, and nobody pays attention. Everybody made first game mistakes. Florida didn't look real good their first week, but, you know, they were playing – who were they playing? Florida Atlantic? Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, it's no big deal. But we made our first game mistakes against Alabama. So, okay, they came out and they were like, all right, let's move on. You know, it's just – you know, it is what it is. We just get better. Well, there's still some – there's still some problems with um, – I, and I don't understand why, with, motive, with the motivation of a couple guys on the on the offensive line, guys who started thirty plus games for, for, for the team, and I think Red Lashley hasn't gotten into his comfort zone. And I think you know part of that was was that, but deeper than that, we were close in this game because if Will Mallory makes the catch on the first series at the twenty yard line, that changes the whole game, you know, and we don't get the penalty. Illegal formation penalty on Cam Harris's touchdown. Those two plays changed the game. Now, all of a sudden, App State has hope.
0: Yeah, and you know what, Calvin? I, I broke it down. So we got we got the seven points they got off the Amari the Carter pick, right? We yeah. Got, yeah. Uh, let's say Mallory makes that catch. They get stopped. They don't get anything else. But they're inside the red zone. Borogales probably makes that kick. That's 10 Problem. points. That's Come 10 on. points right there,
1: right? Yeah.
0: We got the illegal formation by Keyshawn Smith, which was really dumb because it, the first thing you're doing as the outside receiver, is asking the ref if you're on, and he never even looked at the ref. And it was pretty easy because the ball was on the five, and he was clearly on the five-yard line. And that's a touchdown well, also, right there gave
1: up. Also, the ref, if I'm not mistaken, is supposed to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, step back.
0: Right. But he wasn't even, he wasn't even near the five-yard line. It was like a yard and a half off. So that's another seven points, right? So we're talking now we're talking 17 that they gave away. Plus, we got the block field goal. Now that's we got 20. three more points here. That's 20 points.
1: And then throw in the kick kick return, which uh, that that's not supposed to happen. So you're talking 27 points. That's that's a lot. That's a big swing, and that oh, changes. and, and the let's and
0: let's not forget about the series where we had we we're getting in the red zone. Where Streppel just caught that ball. Then the next play, he drops a slant. Then at second and thirteen. We got a false start by uh, we got a Cheney hold when King gets down to the 23 yard line on that run,
1: and Don Cheney's well, leading for him. I got to be honest with you, that was a great acting job by their guy.
0: Yeah, but they threw the flag. What are we going to do? I mean, and then we got the false start by Rivers that makes it second and 18. Then there's an incompletion of Ramble, and it's third and 18 on the 40 instead of first and 10 from the 23. So that could have been another three points, at least from Borregale. So You're talking 23 points in the first half instead of 12. So it's like these stupid little mistakes that add up to a big swing in the game.
1: Exactly. And see, you know, and I know that the coaching staff is frustrated because if, you None of that stuff happens and you come out and you beat this team 40 to whatever. Cause look, if you break down App State on offense, they had two big plays and nothing else. They had to catch the Malik Williams, and then they had to run by uh what's his name? Cameron Peoples for the touchdown. And then they had the kickoff return. They didn't do shit else the rest of the game. Now, mind you, they had the one good drive and the quarterback. We got to check his bank account because he might have been point shaving for us because he missed two touchdown passes. But when you look at it, the defense played pretty good. It's just that you know it's the little things on offense. It's little. It's, it's the attention to detail. You can't have a you know illegal formation. You you have to pay attention to those details. Worse than that, Harley and Mallory didn't show up, and that can't happen. that can't happen because Smith and Rambo. If those two guys show up in the middle of the field, those two outside guys are gonna be um gonna be tough to stop. And they've shown you that. So I get what they're seeing. But the problem is you can't let this fester into this week. Now, if they write the ship and we have a solid victory against Michigan State, um, that'll quiet the fans down because then we can finish the 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 month four and one. But if we lose this game, there's gonna be a plane flying over the stadium for Central Connecticut State. Book that.
2: Yep, I agree. Calvin, I know you gotta get running. So if you wanna if you want to cut loose, you can. I don't want to hold you hostage. You got uh you got all these investors, all these people wanting to uh to get a piece of you these days. So if you want out you're more Listen, than help.
1: Uh, I'm 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 gonna have my agent send you uh the Venmo account and okay. um yeah and also they're there's probably going to be a couple guys outside of your house if we don't get the Venmo in the next 20 minutes. So, okay, you know, I don't want to see. You know, I would hate to have your kids see you get, uh, you know, Main beaten team. down. In front of them. Yeah,
2: okay. releasing the
0: goons. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We. Uh, I. I got, I got a new management staff, and and, and their, their way of collecting funds is a little different than the other staff. So, so. <laughs> times
0: times are tough, man. You know, since COVID, these guys that used to bounce at the Rolex are not working for Calvin.
1: Hey hey they you know i give them a small percentage and i make sure that their, their their friends have money on their books that's all they need
2: well listen man i'll see you saturday at the stadium hopefully i'll walk over there maybe you can let me in and introduce me to coach erickson and uh all of your buddies and be like hey this is the hack from the athletic i've been telling you about
1: yeah they're gonna want yeah they're gonna want to get a piece of you all
2: right you you let them know i i uh, send my warm wishes and hopefully it's uh you get some a lot of a lot of sliders, a lot of good, tasty sliders. Although you, you've been dieting, you lose, you're losing all this weight. You sure you're ready to, to go eat like, like, like at the stadium with all the stadium food? What are you gonna do, man?
1: I mean, I'm sure they're gonna have some chicken there, you know. All right. I mean, we'll, we'll figure it out. Fact, vodka vodka is low <laughs> carb.
2: You can do vodka.
1: <laughs> good point. I was thinking I was thinking Hennessy or MD 2020.
0: <laughs> Not only is that high carb, but that's high hangover.
1: No, nah, no, nah, nah. my body's used to it.
2: <laughs> well, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on, giving us some uh, some of your uh, take. We got to get you on more regularly again. I know you're, I know you got your own pod going, yeah. And make sure to tell people where to get it.
1: No, uh, yeah, at, um, uh, on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, it's Miami Dash Huddlecast. That's H-U-D-D-L-E C-A-S-T. All you dyslexic people out there. So, well, so I
2: appreciate I appreciate you coming on, man, and I'm sure uh, we'll, we'll be talking uh, plenty here as uh, we get near Saturday. There's more, more football to talk about. um But thank you. All right, Carlos, you there? That leaves us. Yeah, yeah it leaves us. All right, so we'll transition to the rest of the conversation. We let him talk about his 91 uh memories and and all that kind of stuff, and I want him to be able to have his own content for his podcast. So we'll continue you and I talking. Uh, when I did our intro or your intro, I didn't get to to your podcast, but since we just plugged his, why don't you plug yours?
0: It's uh, the MIA All Day Podcast. And that's again, that's on Apple Podcasts. That's on Spotify. Uh, it's pretty much anywhere that uh, you can get podcasts. All
2: right. So you broke down film. I broke down film of the Appalachian State game with an eye looking forward because I don't want to recap too much of what we saw in the game, but but we can talk intelligently about what we saw f- with the team. Let's, let's start yeah, on the... Yeah, let's start off with the offensive side of the ball where I guess my biggest takeaway from this game was uh, when you look at App State dropping eight and dropping guys into zone coverage, they really took the middle of the field away uh, from in terms from an accuracy perspective for the King and, and, you know, Mike Harley and and uh, the tight end will Mallory. I think, you know, this is something that we're going to see teams probably do a lot more now. Um, what, what, what's your takeaway from a passing perspective of how Miami counters this?
0: So I, like you were saying, I think what they tried to do was eliminate any crossing runs in the middle of the field and get deep on the outside to make sure they didn't get beat over the top. Uh, I think what Miami should have done what they did some, uh, I think a little bit during the drives where they actually had extended drives was take what the defense gave them. They were hitting hitches that were seven, eight yards downfield and picking up easy, you know, nine, 10 yard games. Just by hitting quick, quick shots to Rambo, quick shots to Harley, and not trying to force the ball. Um, Then they had some opportunities with the RPO stuff where they hit Restrepo on one, he dropped another, Harley dropped another RPO slant. So things were available. They just didn't make the plays at times to to, to get things going. And the other thing you need to do to offset that kind of stuff when people are dropping eight is you need to bring more people into the box. And the way you do that is by running the football. If you're not running the football well, people aren't going to commit more guys into the box. So it doesn't create one-on-one opportunities down the field. And I think that's where they struggled. And it wasn't that the running game wasn't there. It was. They just missed a lot of blocks. They missed assignments. And it was just really frustrating watching that, that game over again and seeing how many times not Namaul Donaldson missing blocks, him just not knowing where to go, him ending up in the wrong spot and, and then missing or whiffing a guy. And then also stole shoes. And as well as he played last week against uh, Alabama, I think he struggled a bit this game. And it showed that he wasn't comfortable being, uh, you know, a starter just yet. I don't know if he's a tackle. I think he might be better inside. But there were times where he played well against the pass rush, times he didn't. And then in the run game, he seemed a little lost. So we'll see what happens this week.
2: Um, yeah, I threw out a couple of stats with Derek King um, in my story here from in terms of the intermediate passing game. Because to me, that's a big area where you, you've seen a difference in him in terms of accuracy and connecting with guys. And again, it's a small sample size. It's two games, but he's seven of 16, 43% for 106 yards and an interception between 10 to 19 yards last season, 55.7% completion percentage on 10 to 19 yards, 705 yards, nine touchdowns, one interception. To me, it's the intermediate passing, game, right? It's it's just anywhere down the middle of the field, either when he goes deep and and his guys are, are, are going down the sideline, which by the way, he's only thrown four passes beyond 20 yards in the air. Um, he's having success. So it's the defense taking away the middle of the field, forcing him to throw underneath and not just having success there. And then they're also getting more pressure on him. They, 36% of his dropbacks, he's feeling pressure at 35.4. And then last year it was 26. So 10% of his snaps, he's feeling more pressure. So th- those are two early things. Obviously the drops coming back w- was not a good sign. Although Mike Harley today, I asked him point blank. I said, you know, what, what are you feeling? You know, you got banged up obviously in the Alabama game. He's making no excuses. He said the two drops. Uh, that he had against App State where, you know, just not looking the ball in, doing what he was supposed to do. So all that said, the passing game has to get better or they're not going to have a chance. And these next two weeks, granted, one of them's against Central Connecticut State, but these next two games, um, you know, you're going to have Don Chaney Jr. Uh, out. You're going to have Jalen Knighton out. So really, I mean, it's the Cam Harris show offensively. And, you know, look, can Cam Harris uh, – you know, take the bulk 95% of the carries 90% of the carries uh, in a game like this against Michigan state. Sure. But I, you know, next week is when you'll start to see Cody Brown and these guys, I think central Connecticut state is when you'll see them get on the field and get more, more carries. But the point is, I mean, they're, they're, they're at the bare minimum here. And if Cam Harris goes out early in this game with an injury, I'm really interested to see how Lashley maneuvers this with his offense.
0: Yeah, and not only that, but I think now that puts even more pressure on De'Ara King running the football as well. I mean, you saw the uptick in how many times he ran the ball last week, not only in design runs, but when he got out of the pocket and and, uh, had room to run because App State was dropping so many guys in the coverage on occasion. And I think if teams continue to do that, he's going to continue to have opportunities to scramble and pick up yardage, whether it be first downs or at least four or five-yard games, and keep keep the ball moving and keep us moving in a positive direction. But it's also concerning because you're putting so much on De'Ara King not only in the passing game, but now in the running game, if he's your only weapon, and again, if he goes down, now what happens? You know, Tyler Van Dyke might be, uh, you know, a, a good backup when it comes to getting in the game and running the offense from a passing perspective, but he is not DRA King in terms of running the football. So now your ground game goes into the crapper.
2: Yeah, I, I think what we're going to end up seeing Saturday, I, I don't think we're going to see much of Cody Brown at all unless it's short yardage situations or situations where they know, the other team knows for sure that Miami's handing the ball off and Miami knows for sure it's handling, handing the ball off. I think you'll see Elijah Royal in there quite a bit in an H back type role. I don't think he'll get any carries, but I think he's going to be in a situation where he's back there to protect when Cam Harris needs a blow. And and so he'll be there and and maybe occasionally he'll slip out and catch a pass to keep the defense honest. But I think, you know, with one healthy experienced running back going into this game, Miami's in a very precarious position. Um, I think one
0: one more thing. I think you're gonna you're probably gonna see or you should see. I don't know if you're going to, is another way you alleviate that is using the jet sweep, which they haven't used yet this season. So getting the receivers involved, getting a slot guy involved, handing him the ball like a restrepo or maybe even a harley, to get those guys on the edge and give somebody else the ball a little bit to get that defense flowing one way and help cam also. Get, get a little bit of, uh, of movement out of the box. So moving bodies out of the box through that jet sweep action. So it's mm-hmm. easier to
2: block and easier to open up holes inside. You sound like a former Miami high quarterback. That's what you sounded like right there. That was great. I appreciate oh, thank it. You. <laughs> um, I learned a lot holding a clipboard. <laughs> um, defensively, look, people are clamoring, play the young guys, right? Cam Kitchens and James Williams and Leonard Taylor. You, you really can't, I mean, there's a reason freshmen don't play on most teams, right? I mean, that first year, you just need to uh, learn. And if you do play, you play at the end of blowouts, not when games are tight and close. And so that's why you didn't see James Williams and, you know, any of these other incoming freshmen that Miami have, has had here uh, on defense in, in the early going of this game, because it was nip and tuck the whole game. And I think it's kind of ridiculous for people to think Leonard Taylor should be playing in the third game of the season. Um, so I, I, that's what I got to say about that. Um, but as far as (laughs) shots fired, no, I, I just think it's ridiculous and, and it's just dumb. And, and the, and the next part is just, you know, overall on the defense, my takeaways, and you can, you can give me your thoughts, but I, I, you know, the biggest problem I have with this defense is, you know, app state, obviously their stretch offense in this game against Miami, they ran a lot of counter and there was nobody home. And that's why you saw a lot of big runs up the middle and Michigan yep. Michigan State is going to do that all day to Miami. They're going to just try to run the ball up the middle because we know the line. We know Keontre Smith's out, so, you, so you've lost essentially your best, your fastest linebacker, most reliable linebacker um, for the next month. Um, and so I'm worried for Miami from that part. And then from a secondary, t- to me, I'm more upset with the way the secondary is played. To be honest, if, if you're a Miami fan, because you know you got Bubba Bolden and Gervin Hall back there, you've got guys that have played together for a while now, and you're still having communication breakdowns where guys are wide open in the end zone. Tight ends are completely uncovered. Uh, Agree or disagree. What, what, what concerns you most about this defense and what encourages you the most about this defense so far?
0: So I I totally agree with you when it comes to the back end of the defense, I think as great as bubble Bolden has been coming up in run support, he has been equally as bad. I think on occasion in, in coverage, and Gervin Hall has done the same thing. I, I, they don't, they're don't; they not playing in sync. They're not, like you said, communicating. That deep touchdown on the post, uh, you know, Bubba Bolden was underneath, and Gervin Hall was sprinting from the other side of the field to try and get over the top and make the stop. It looked like neither one of them knew what coverage they were in and whose responsibility that was, which is pretty shocking because it wasn't like they disguised the route. They just ran a straight post at them, and nobody knew what to do. So that's, that's pretty disappointing. The other thing is, I mean, on that touchdown run by Peoples, um, you know – you see Keontre Smith overcommit to that outside zone, which was a problem for them. So that's why they kept using the counter. They kept overcommitting on the, on the outside zone action. And when he tried to react and come back, he got swallowed up by the by the tackle. Then DJ Ivy has a clear shot at Peoples in the hole, and he makes a business decision and sort of waves his arm at him, and Peoples is gone. And Gervin Hall on the backside never rotated over to get there to make a stop and he was the next guy in line, and Bubba Bolden was nowhere to be found. So it's these things where they're not in the right run fits. They're overcommitting. They're not staying disciplined on defense. And if they do that this week against Michigan State, they're going to have a problem because this guy Kenneth Walker is a hell of a running back. He's had a hell of a year so far. He's averaging like 10.7 yards a carry. And a lot of his runs where he makes big plays, he starts the defense flowing one way on his own action, stops, makes a jump cut, and comes back around the other way on the cutback. And Miami, as we've seen, has a tendency to overcommit and doesn't get back over when these running backs make sharp cuts and come back the other way on the cutback. So it's something that they've got to take care of this week. The other thing I'm, I'm a little bit happy about is uh, I think Nesta Silvera played one of his best games last week, although it wasn't all the way through. It looked like he was strong early on, disappeared in the middle, and then came back in the fourth quarter and was a monster. If he could be that guy in the fourth quarter every play, we're going to have something. That was Gerald Willis, like like what he was doing in the fourth quarter. Um, I think Jared Har- Harrison Hunt's playing well. I think John Ford needs to step up. He still hasn't dominated a game yet, I think, in his entire career here in Miami. He'll make flash plays here and there, but he hasn't dominated anybody. Jordan Miller's playing okay. It's not too bad. But the pass rush, even though App State was getting the ball off quick after that first series, they're still not getting to the quarterback. Even when they blitz, they're not getting to the quarterback. And and that's concerning. I think they have an opportunity to do that this week. I don't know how good Michigan State's offensive line is in pass protection, I mean, they look pretty good running the football, but I think there may be an opportunity there. Um, as far as, you know, the linebackers is concerned, we know that's that's a nightmare. It's It's been discussed at length since the summer and even last season. You know, Corey Flagg plays well. He's doing a good job. But I think Wayman Steed is a downgrade from Kriantre Smith. My only hope is that maybe when Avery Huff gets some reps in there, he plays so well in game action that there's no way you can pull him out. Because that's the type of athlete you need at that weak side linebacker.
2: I think it was telling when, when I asked John Patkey this week about Avery Huff and where he is in his development. He says, well, he'll be surprised if he just sticks to what he has to do. He can have some success, which tells you why Avery Huff has not played. He is a freelancer. He is not a guy who has played the linebacker position a long time in his life. And when he's out there, it just he just doesn't get it yet. So we'll see how that works out. Maybe when the bright lights come on. Uh, Sunday at noon, right when they, when they're out there and it's a thousand degrees, maybe every huff will play great and, and we'll all be surprised. But my expectations going into this game is Miami's going to win this game in a shootout or they're going to get blown out. And and I think uh, I, I I'm nervous for Miami. Vegas seems to know things that we don't. I mean, six and a half point favorite over over this team. They must not have a lot of faith in Mel Tucker's team. Um, but uh, I I very much feel like we could be headed to an L in this game.
0: I Listen, I think the opportunity is there for Miami to play a much better game than it did last week. Now, the other thing people are discounting, too, let's talk about App State. That's a damn good football team that we're not just saying that we're not blowing smoke on people's asses. They're well coached. They had a ton of older guys, guys that have been around the program a long time, have won. They're very well coached by these guys that have been there for a long time as well. And Frank Ponce, I think, put together a good game plan to keep them in the game and not put the game in, in, in Bryce's hands to throw away. So he did a good job uh, slowing the tempo down, keeping the ball to Miami's hands and giving them an opportunity. I think the other thing that's happened with Miami over the last couple of games, and especially this game against App State is the guys making mistakes are young guys that haven't gotten a chance to play before, like Keyshawn Smith or uh, in guys that haven't played in a long time, like Navon Donaldson. And it shows. And even De'Ara King is showing rust coming back from that injury. He doesn't look like himself yet. I think this could be the game where they sort of get back in sync and start feeling more comfortable out there because you know it, it, it's about that time and i think it's after two games you've learned a lot from not just the playing experience but the film and getting more acclimated um they have an opportunity to beat this team by by a couple scores because i think they are obviously more talented but michigan state is a royal coach team they're very disciplined but they have one running back their second their backup is pretty good their quarterback is okay he's not bad he's accurate makes good throws but he's not, you know, a world beater. They have one really good receiver and everybody else is average. They have a really good safety, but their corners aren't that great. And their linebackers aren't that great. I mean, this is a chance to put your stamp on the season and get some momentum going forward. But like you said, we don't know what to expect. So it could either be the Canes winning by 14 or losing by 20. Who knows?
2: Yeah. And, and I'll say this about Michigan state and, and and obviously Colton Pouncy and I previewed, uh, you know, talked a lot about the Spartans and previewed the game uh, before this, but um, I, 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 think. You know, yes, they're, they're inexperienced in a lot of places, but so far this season, they haven't shown that inexperience many times. And yes, it's Youngstown State and uh, a, a Northwestern team that isn't as good as the one it was a year ago, but they still won those games decisively and they yep. still look like a well coached team. And if they come in here and play that way and Miami doesn't show up with a good game, uh, it could get ugly. And, and, I, and I'm worried because I – honestly, Carlos, I don't want to – I mean I mean this wholeheartedly. You don't want to be on the parade. I, I, I just don't want to be the guy who has to write about, you know, what. when are they going to fire Manny Diaz and what what right. is – you know, I, I just – I've been through this so many times with this team already. I'm so sick of it. And and that's going to be the only thing people care about is when are they going to get rid of Manny Diaz if they lose this game, if they lose any game, really? I mean, that's the way that's the <laughs> point. it's be, That's the point it's gotten to. They have to look really, really good in this game, I think, to earn any sort of goodwill with the fan base. And, and you, know you know what's
0: funny? I, I tweeted something out earlier. Uh, there was the uh, pr- predictions by, by Barstool, I think it was in terms of scores this weekend, um, and I tweeted out the Miami-Michigan State score along with a bunch of other scores, and they predicted Miami 35-28, and I said, how many Miami fans would be happy with this result? Uh-huh. And you know, I'm thinking the overwhelming majority would not be happy with that result, but I would absolutely be happy with that result this weekend because Michigan State's looking pretty good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. By the way, how uh, how sober are you going to be at 1201 12-0, when this game is going on? Are you going to the game? Are you going to be there tailgating? Are you going to be at home? Where where, where are you going to be uh, for this game?
0: I'm going to be tailgating at home, uh, okay. so that means I can roll out of bed and start with the bloody marys first thing okay. in the morning. Okay. Uh, with my croquetas and then just keep it going throughout the afternoon. So I might not be too too tipsy at twelve o one, but if you call me at three fifteen, yeah, you might be talking to a different person. <laughs>
2: Carlos, I appreciate you coming on, man. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. Give your Twitter address, man. It's El Ledo
0: 1307 That's E-L-L-E-D-O-1307.
2: And Be sure to check out his podcast as well. That's going to wrap it up for this week's Wide Right. I'm your host, Manny Navarro. Make sure to subscribe to The Athletic. Check it out. Sign up now before uh, the sale ends. I know that it's going to be ending soon, but you can sign up for cheap. Uh, get get in on that subscription man make sure you sign up through one of my stories we will see you next week hopefully talking about a cane's victory and not a one and two start this is the state of
0: miami y'all know y'all come down down that-